When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I didn't do that. Hello, this is Benjamin Boyce of the Boyce of Reason podcast, and this is the second season of this podcast or interview circuit. Today's guest is Michael Marino, who's a freshman at Weber State University in Utah. Just a couple days ago, Michael posted a video that actually exposes his debate teacher and Michael argues in those videos, which are excellent and down in the description, that his teacher actually isn't teaching what Michael signed up to be taught, which would be debate. Rather, the teacher is teaching critical theory or victimhoodology or whatever you want to call it. Now, in this video, in this discussion that we just got done with, Michael talks about the debate community and what is policy debate. So we get into kind of the the technicalities of this culture. And then Michael lays out what he thinks debate should be about, which turns out to be truth and not necessarily persuasion. So this was an excellent discussion. I know you guys are going to like it. Let's dive right in. Here we go. Hey, you're totally standing up. <laughs> I am. Yeah, I, I don't really like sitting. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just a, I got a standing desk right there. If I press a button, but uh, uh, is this kind of what sets your teachers on on edge? Because you're just yeah, always standing there. I'm standing the entire time. <laughs> what about during debates? Is this something you learned for debates, and then you just got hooked? Yeah. Well, yeah. I I, I kind of find that I I'm better at speaking. I don't know when I'm when I'm standing. I don't know. When I'm sitting down, I'll like be swiveling in my chair and just be hmm. distracting. So okay, of yourself know. and others. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. Did you see that email? I just I just now got that. Everyone's been uh, telling me to I need to interview with you. So well, yeah. Thanks for joining me. Actually, since that first um, your first splash onto the YouTube zone, and was that last spring or was it the spring before? Where it was last January. Okay. Yeah. Um, About people, nine months ago. Yeah, people have been asking me to talk to you, and uh, I had some. We we set something up, and then it didn't happen. But now here we are. Yeah. Uh, part two for your internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm glad we're talking now. Yeah. So how's it how's it going? You are a freshman right now at Weber. Uh, Weber, we- State. Weber State University. Weber. Yeah, Weber, mm-hmm. Ogden, Utah. And are you from that? Uh, from that state or did you yeah, go? Yeah, I'm from Utah. I've lived in Utah most of my life. And why did you choose uh, Weber then? It was the only um, college in Utah that had a policy debate team, which is the event that I compete in. Okay. Uh, and it was just, I don't know, it was, uh, I didn't know where else to go. Um, so I just went there. Um, and by chance you uh, started taking a course. I don't know if it's a course or you just started working with uh, Ryan Wash. Yeah, so it's a it's a course. Um, it wasn't by chance. Um, I, I specifically joined to to be on that team. Uh, like I went to Weber knowing I was going to be on that team. But so it's a course uh, intercollegiate debate. Like I I got credit hours for it. Well, I don't anymore because I dropped. But yeah, um, in the communications department, like it was an actual class. Mm-hmm. And it, this is something that you were doing in high school. Is this like uh, like a major? part of your life or something yeah. that you want to do professionally? I don't know if you do this professionally. I don't even know. Could you t- tell us about what is policy debate? Sure. So uh, I didn't even know this was a thing until I got to 11th grade. Had I known, I would have joined it instantly because I've always enjoyed debate. But basically, there's a, a sport uh, called academic debate um, where teams are assigned resolutions or topics, and then they go to tournaments and, and debate against them. And so you're not specifically assigned arguments but you're assigned positions and so you can support those positions with whatever position you want or whatever argument you want uh, so i started doing it in uh 11th grade uh it, there's multiple policy or multiple debate events i did lincoln douglas the first year and then i switched to policy after because it seemed like it would be better for me and um yeah so it's that's essentially what it is it's an actual thing and, and there's a, a college division as well um yeah uh, that's um anything specific you want to know about it well, so in the video that you posted, I think it was two or three days ago now, um, you, you posted a lot of uh, 
basically just classroom audio or co- coursework mm-hmm. art audio. Um, and there's a lot of different, you know, just lingo that's flying around in there. What's the AF? Yeah. Like you, you put up the AF like in the transcription and it took me half, a, you know, a yeah. good 20 okay. minutes before sure. I understood. So what you're saying is that in in this sporting event, there's an affirmative position and mm-hmm. then – what the negative position there's a negative there's a negative okay. position and it's it's not as if there's a topic like abortion and then one side argues rather there's a statement this is why it's called a resolution because it's resolved this is the statement so the statement will be like x we should do x and so the affirmative has to affirm that statement and the negative negates it now if the negative can prove that even one word in that statement is wrong then they win essentially um because in order to count as the affirmative you have to defend the entirety of the topic for example, if we were debating about like what is causing crime in an area um, and, and you made a specific claim about it, I could concede that you're mostly right. But if your claim had one detail that was wrong, then your position uh, – I'm not explaining it very well, but that's the concept. There's good reason for it. Um, think about it like this. In deductive logic, uh, argument is not valid if the conclusion doesn't necessarily fall. So even if one premise is wrong, then the conclusion falls. Okay. And there's no – like. Uh resolving of the resolution it's just yes or no and that's kind of the game like there's no like we're going to reform our topic like you're already done yeah no um there's nothing that comes after the round you you go in there you argue for the resolution you say what we should do and then you go into the next round and you switch sides okay oh so uh, of this on the same topic yeah and so the judges are there to say you know best out of two i guess best out of two rounds yeah, whoever wins more rounds wins the tournament. That's usually how it goes. Okay. Okay. Um, in bigger tournaments, well, you'll have preliminary rounds. So, for instance, there'll be like five rounds that everyone gets to compete in, no matter how many rounds they lose. And then after that, they'll bracket it and see who had the most wins and the highest points. And then they'll break into like, um, they're they're called elimination rounds. So maybe there'll be like three elimination rounds. Um, and and if you lose that, you basically you're trying to get to the final round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. A part of your video, at least linked in the description of the video, were some uh, documents that I, I assume were, were formulated by your team members. And the, the mm-hmm. formatting of these documents, and I'll, I'll post this up on the video, was very particular. There's a lot of different font size changes and stuff, and it's just one big yeah. streaming block of text. And then also mm-hmm. when I've done some very pro- preliminary research about this, People are just like reading really fast these things and they're going and going and going. Yeah. What, what is that about? And how does anybody understand what's going on? Sure. So I'll, I'll start with the format uh, format first. So I actually have their stuff pulled up. So what every argument that you read essentially has three, uh, well, not necessarily three, but it should have three things. Uh, and just in basic argumentation, this is the case. Every argument has a claim, a warrant, and an impact. That's to say you have a statement. You have evidence supporting that statement, and then you have an impact as to why that statement matters. For example, if we're debating about abortion and I make a claim and I have warrants for it, but but um, but my claim has to do with whether or not the sky is blue, clearly there's no impact to the abortion debate. So it's not actually an argument. Um, but So in academic debate, we've kind of formatted those to where you have what's called a tagline, which is a, a quick sentence or two, which is going to summarize the evidence you're about to read. And so after you read the tagline, you'll then say the evidence by saying the author's last name and the year. So for instance, when I quoted Jordan Peterson, I said Peterson 17. And then the reason why there's so many, you'll see there's text that's highlighted in a lot of the text is just very small. You don't read it at all. That's, well, it's for a couple of reasons. First is we're trying to save time, obviously. Second is it, a lot of the text is unnecessary. You can, you can show the argument that's being made by eliminating filler words. And you can even go so far as to make your own sentences. For example, like if there's two paragraphs, I can like start the sentence here and then end it over here so long as it's still accurate to what was being said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the second question? Oh, speed reading or spreading. Yeah. So this is something that's really misunderstood by the general populace and I don't blame them for, but um, it's actually very productive when done correctly. Um, the idea is that <laughs> when, when you compete in events like policy, it's it's basically debate on steroids. So it's very... Um, it's very advanced, very technical, and everyone who, who does it at that level, almost everyone, is basically used to that speed. And so if everyone's able to debate at 350 words per minute, why not? Right? You get to make more arguments in. Uh, it's actually very fun, too. Like In normal debates, 
that I have with people who don't do academic debate, I have no problem thinking through my arguments because I'm used to doing it at 350 words per minute on the spot. And so it's a very beneficial skill. Now, obviously, this is unproductive when the person you're debating against can't keep up because then it's just unfair. Um, or if the judge can't keep up, then obviously it's not productive either. And how are any given statements checked for accuracy? If you're just everybody, you're just spreading, and then the other person mm-hmm. spreads. Is there any? There's no back and forth. Well, well, so there there is back and forth, but you have your own speech time. So here's the normal format of most rounds: is the affirmative gives their speech, and and then there's probably a cross examination period after that, where the negative gets to question the affirmative. And then the negative will give their speech, and then the affirmative gets to question them, and then there's the rebuttal speeches where they go back and forth a couple times, and then the judge evaluates it by the end of the round. Um, it, but th- most, most of the time, both teams have each other's document, so they're reading along as they're spreading to make sure that they're not just making up stuff. Um, so if I, see, if I hear a claim that's absurd, I'll go to the Word document and read where the evidence is, but like, no, you're taking that out of context, and then I'll bring that up in my next speech. You know, this is a random thought, but you know anything about StarCraft? It, I think it's kind of <laughs> out of favor now, but like there was, I, <laughs> it's still kind of big, at least in Korea, but like the, the, the number of uh, uh, clicks per second is phenomenal. And that's why people burn out when they're like 22 or 24, they can't keep up with that yeah. uh, many, you know, inputs. Is, have you, do you know anything about like how, how long people last doing this? And it, because it's, it's taking so much agility and speed, um, is it just a young person sport? Oh, well, the thing is, a college debate is the end uh, of where people get to debate. So you don't really get to see very old people, um, yeah. you know, doing college debate. Hmm. But people last for out for like, well, okay, they can last quite literally for days um, because tournaments are usually weekends and they're all day. And so you'll have like maybe some tournaments even have like nine rounds. I know the nationals, it's multiple days. I've heard stories that people are like doing cocaine in the bathroom so that they can <laughs> keep doing it, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, even in my tournaments, I'd, I'd be spreading My voice would be dead. So what I do is I'd like, I'd bring honey with me so that I could just put honey in my mouth so that my, my throat wouldn't be so sore. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. And so, so, so part of the audio and this is kind of a difficult interview because for a number of different reasons, like what I really want to do with this interview and put it out there is just to give a little bit more context to your videos, um, specifically because the way in which the professor is speaking with you, one, it's taken out of context. You're making an argument out of his stuff. And there's like, is there 12 hours of audio? There's yeah. there's hours and hours of audio. So one, it, it's condensed. So that, that loses mm-hmm. a lot of resolution Two. Yeah. Not a lot of people are going to understand the what you guys are talking about, not just the words, but like the way in which he might be actually teaching you um, through the way that he's approaching you. And somebody on Reddit um, who apparently is a professor there or a coach um, at your school, Crystal, kind of, yeah. uh, Crystal uh, kind of argued with you back and forth in the Jordan Peterson subreddit and mm-hmm. tried to give more context about the style of Ryan's teaching. Um, so... Uh, so I just wanted to like give a little bit more air around what is this way of of debating of speaking and and furthermore to give context when you take that that what that style of of speaking back and forth that spreading mm-hmm. and all these different uh, kind of formal rules and informal norms in this way of communication. Um, and you put it into another context, which is YouTube. YouTube is a completely different way of judging. Like there, there's all the, there's the same kind of debate yeah. structure, but it's just you speaking into the void and then people judging based on your argument. So I just, I want to understand why did you make such a strong argument about your teacher? Uh, I guess we can just talk about why are you making the argument that he is racist? That was a very strong claim. And, and how is that, um, how do we substantiate that? Sure. The first thing I want to point out, everything that he's presented suggests to me that he's racist. Um, but it might be the case that he's not. I'm not really concerned with if, if he's actually racist. I'm concerned with how he, how he's teaching it to his students. Okay. The ideas that he's pushing on his students are most certainly racist. Um, let's say he presents 20 arguments, 18 of them center on getting rid of whiteness. Um, that's substantiated by the audio. Um, hmm. And I don't think you need to understand the debate lingo to see that either. The only section in the video in which I think it might, it might be confusing is the end ones, where I'm focusing on how he's treating me, when he's swearing at me and belittling me. Like, there's a lot of, 
debate terms like solvency mechanisms. And it's also specific to the debate topic because I'm talking about extinction arguments with outer space and Mars colonization. But the point of that audio wasn't the context, the, the, the content, but yeah. the way he was speaking to me. Um, but everything else, you don't need to be in debate to understand. This is just, um, these are just arguments about how white people are the source of all problems and, and that all black people are oppressed. But um, one, of the, one of the pushbacks of that is that maybe he's just making these absurd claims. Sure, yeah. Uh, he, could, he could infinitely hide under behind that. Like he's trying to teach you to take another uh, point of view and trying to force yeah. you to think in an unnatural way, let's say. And I get why people would think that because these are absurd claims. But if you listen to the audio, and I, I think that even the audio I show, these aren't in the context of a debate round. He's presenting these positions and we're supposed to ask him questions if we're confused, right? Hmm. And so when I ask him questions, he's dismissing them, right? If he were really just presenting these as absurd arguments, he'd be like, yeah, Michael, you could make those arguments. They might say this, but yeah, you can make that argument. Instead, he's like, no, you're white, you can't speak, or, or no, you know, space doesn't exist, here's why. Like, we're not sparring in the debate round, so he has no excuse to be presenting them this way. Hmm. Nothing in any of the footage suggests that he is just playing the devil's advocate. Um, my headset keeps falling off. These earbuds are too big, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and and uh, so this is another point I make. So when you see an argument, hypothetically, you have two options. You can either try and build that argument up and make the best version of that argument and entertain. Okay, maybe there's something there. This is called like still manning an argument, um, opposite of uh, straw manning, right? You can do that, or you can become hypercritical and say you can just try and find a flaw in everything that someone says and just not even assume that maybe they're saying something right. Those are your two options. Now, Ryan does both of this, but he's very selective in when and, and what he does with it. So arguments that kind of go with this anti-white, postmodern, like identitarian victim narrative, he, he will give barely any criticism to. He'll just let them flow by. For example, when the two black debaters were reading their speech about how we need to send all whiteies to space, his only criticisms were, okay, but how are we going to get white people to space? You need to explain the practicality. Um, or, or his suggestion was, I think you should instead have all black people leave to space and leave white people here so that we don't have to worry about them colonizing aliens. Like, these are pathetic criticisms to make against their case. Obviously, in any real debate, the main criticism of this argument would be the racist assumptions underlying it against white people. But he does not bring this up at all. And furthermore, when I make them, when I bring them up and I say, hey, this is racist, not all white people are, uh, are colonizers and racist. Ryan, and again, he's not in the debate round, but he's not even the people who are being cross-examined. He interjects himself and, and, and basically just dismisses my concerns instantly. And so I said this in my video, but it's like a form of artificial selection where he's just getting all of the arguments that adhere to his narrative and he's just building them up as much as possible and then dismissing everything else. When you look at this holistically, like all the videos, all the audio, you can very clearly see that he has an agenda in which arguments he lets you run. And again, he even said that he wasn't going to let me argue for positions like stoicism. So there's no way he would have ever let me argue like the positions I ran at Arizona State University in that, in that video, like identity politics is bad. There's no way. Mm -hmm. in, in a certain respect, um, because he's leaning so heavy against you and so light on the people that agree with him, you're actually getting a better education in the form of debate <laughs> yeah. than anybody else. Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, the people who are being indoctrinated into this stuff, these students, I, they're not learning how to actually debate, how to actually use argumentation, how to engage. They're not learning that. Um, instead, what they're being taught to is just to demonize everyone. And anytime someone disagrees with them, play the victim, um, call them racist or sexist or any other you know, violation like that, and then they've won. Right? That's what they're being taught to do. And they're also never called on these beliefs. This is why I think the debate space is an echo chamber and why I think so many students believe in this stuff is because they're not allowed to see the other side. If I try and bring up a criticism, I'm just shut down. And so they never even see what's wrong with these ideologies. Mm -hmm. But within that, you, you just said they're not being taught how to actually debate, but academic bait is not about actual debate. It's about a certain sort of game that has been, you know, meted constantly. Mm -hmm. And, and what, from what I've done, it's very minimal research. Ryan uh, Wash, he broke the game and that's how he won. He, he broke an earlier version of this game. He, he showed that you can, 
you can uh, trump the game by by pointing out rules in the game and reconfiguring the rules. So in you going this route um, and and going the YouTube route, you're you're stepping out of that academic debate. Do mm-hmm. you do you have any regrets about that? Would you not want to just stay in there and try to reform it and break it again? To oh, fix I want it? to do both. Yeah. Um. I mean, that's why I'm on YouTube is because I want to expose this and try and reform it. I think a, a, a an academic debate setting that functions the way in which it is now is essentially useless. It's not productive to anyone. It's it's very um, detrimental. Um, and so when I say real debate, I think it's what academic debate should be, which is, sure, you can argue any position. I'm not saying there needs to be a, pol- a political adherence, but it should be about analyzing the, the premises of those positions, analyzing if the positions actually make sense and if they're actually like valid. But again, like these debaters are just taught that logic itself is racist, and so it doesn't matter if it's mm-hmm. valid. I'll give you an example. Um, the, the same debater who argued we should send all whiteies to space, during the section um, where, in my newest video, where they're presenting all of the arguments, I didn't include this audio because there was a lot, but another argument they were presenting was um, the Quar perspective argument, which is they, they read off this, this speech where they're like, oh, yes, honey, uh, we need to start this party off with a Quar perspective. And, and they're just trying to use as much stereotypical like homosexual language as possible because they're saying that like, English is 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 a uh, homophobic because you have to talk very formally, but but gay people apparently don't do that, um, and so that's their argument is that they're going to read their speech with a quar perspective. Um, I'll read some of the taglines like "Yes, honey, oh yes, we need to start this party off with a quar perspective." Black gay vernacular created in ball cultures reflect fluidity and agency for the quar body that the House of America usually excludes, and just tons of stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. White language practices hold black bodies to an external standard of white perfection. We must make room for people to create truth. Um, so the point of me bringing this up is right after he says, oh, yes, honey, we need to make pers- bring up a car perspective. He then reads his card, right, the evidence, the warrant for his claim. He then quotes a professor named Patrick Johnson, who's a professor of African-American studies at the um, Northwestern University. And he's using academic language in the evidence. Like it's, it's very academic language. And so I raised my hand and I'm like, how can you say on the one hand that academic language is homophobic? And so you're going to avoid using a- academic language and embrace a quar perspective, but then instantly substantiate that point with academic evidence. And when I brought that up, the way he responded was, well, now you're just policing me, telling me how gay I have to be and how gay I'm not allowed to be. Hmm. It's like, no, I just want you to be consistent. Pick one or the other and defend it, but don't don't contradict yourself. But but again, if you if you tr- and even Ryan did this when I was like, actually, so he made the claim that putting like regulations in space and cooperating in space is equivalent to rape because space doesn't mean outer space; it means the space that our body's in. And so if you put regulations on that, you're encroaching on my body, and that's clearly rapey. And I'm like, but that's not what space means in this topic. It's, it's clear. The topic areas say deep space exploration. It means, you know, space-based solar power. Like, this is talking about outer space, not just space in general. And then he told me that by me telling him what words means, I'm linguistically sexually assaulting him, yeah. right? So you can see that they aren't actually caring about argumentation. They're just, they're just trying to play word games. And they're, and they're just trying to... Any valid criticism is immediately accused of being some exclusionary, intolerant, racist, sexist, homophobic intent. But, but only when you do it, not when they do it. They can do that infinitely right. to you. Exactly, not. yeah. Yeah. But how? by you quitting, they won. They kicked you out. They, they proved well, well, that your logic is inferior to their power games. So when I quit, when I, when I quit the team, it wasn't because of these types of arguments they're propagating. I knew that this was going to happen because I know okay. that the debate space is full of this. I, I've, I knew the coach before I came here because um, I, I, I've heard about him. He's famous. There's a documentary being made about him for being a brave black um, you know, debater. Um, I quit the moment he told me that he was not going to let me run my own arguments because that's the thing. My, if I'm debating, I'm try- the reason why I debate is because I want to be the best debater that I can be. I want to get very good at, at analyzing positions and finding the truth. That's what I want to do. I'm not going to get that from okay. regurgitating their ideology at tournaments. I have a friend who, okay. who, who stayed in debate, and what, 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 one of his strategies that they ran was their entire speech was them apologizing for being white, and that's how they would win rounds. I'm not going to benefit from doing that. And so if I'm in the debate space and I can, and I can argue against these ideologies, I don't really care 
like I can deal with that. I can deal with being called out as a white guy because I can easily dismantle those positions. But the moment when Ryan takes away that ability, yeah. there's no point in me being on the team anymore. Well, I, let's let's run that through. If you do persist in that, then you'll be able to find even deeper chinks in this argumentation. Because to be frank, this sort of ideology is very deeply entrenched in the academy. And there are there are libraries and libraries full of argumentation and argumentation of argumentation. Uh, to quote Brett Weinstein, it's, it's evolutionarily evolved. So by recusing yourself of participating in it, there's no way to stop it unless we go to a completely different venue, which is which would be YouTube. And then you'd have to figure out like another way of restarting it. Like, do you have any thoughts or plans on how to save something that's that far, far how, gone? How so far save? gone. How? Well, not just save it, but but if you can't even make the arguments mm-hmm. against it, or or even subject yourself to the to not making those arguments, so you can find new arguments, then there's no way to change it because it's been captured. So, are, so are you saying that? Sorry, I might be misunderstanding you. Are you are you suggesting that if I stayed on the team and argued for these positions, these like anti-white positions, I would find ways to debunk them? I I'm I'm proposing that could you have not could done be that? oh okay yeah well, well so here's the thing is my policy on choosing arguments it isn't necessarily if I agree with it it's if it's if I think it's a good argument okay and so if I argue these positions and I'm just waiting for someone to give me a valid argument I'm never going to hear it because the valid arguments against these positions they don't want to make. Like they just, for, for example, I'll give you an, I watched a college debate round. I, I came and watched, I, I went to Weber state last year to spectate one of the tournaments they were hosting. And the round was this, it was, it was two black debaters. They stood up and they read a, a rap. There was rap music in the background as they were giving this rap, this poem. And, and they were saying all white people should die. All white women should become infertile. All white people should starve. Extinction of the white race is preferable, um, or rather, they said extinction of the world, of all people, is preferable than white people to continue existing, right? This is just terrible, abhorrently racist speech. And then their opponents, who, keep in mind, were both white, they stood up. And, and, and what was their main criticism? What was their main argument against this? It wasn't, oh, this is racist, what the heck? Instead, their argument was, in your rap song, you use the word limb, and that's ableist, because not all people have limbs. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to improve by hearing that. That's not a valid argument. Um, like, if I'm, okay, let's say I... I proposing this, right? Let's say I, I argue for a, a feminist position and I talk about the wage gap. I'm never going to hear from anyone that maybe the wage gap isn't due to sexism. Instead, I'm, they're just going to try and outleft me and I'm not actually going to like learn valid arguments. Well, if yeah, but if, if the entire, what I'm trying to get at is that the entire system is corrupt. So if, if you can out corrupt your opponent, it, it, that's not valid to you. You, you don't want to go, participate in that or i don't think i don't feel like i don't i do not think that it is a benefit to learn sophistry and, and rhetorical mm-hmm. manipulation of words i don't think that's what debate is about or should be about and, and furthermore i don't think it's about persuading judges either i'm not going to benefit in society from just learning how to manipulate my judge by adhering to their biases in fact training individuals to do that is like what creates the stereotypical politician that we all hate who will say anything to get the vote so it's just not a good idea all around. If we're debating, we shouldn't be debating for sophistry or persuasion. We should be debating for argumentation and, and reason. Well, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I'm just uh, – I'm trying to get to the point like wh- what is the solution? If the entire oh, – okay. if, if the entire structure is corrupt or captured at least by sophists, how does the, philosoph- uh, the philosophist or the philosopher um, yeah. get back in there? Do, do you have any thoughts you, like of yeah. restructuring debate tournaments or – with different well, rules. There, there's a lot. Yeah, I, I do. And I'll, I'll touch on that in a second. But um, so I think what everyone should be doing, just everyone in debate who sees this, is they should be making whatever argument they believe is the best argument, regardless of if they think they're going to win. I had some hmm. friends who were openly, well, not openly, they were conservative, but they'd always have to argue leftist positions because they don't want to lose debate rounds. After I blew up on Arizona University, um, Arizona State, um, with the Jordan B. Peterson, like, like more people were like, wow, this inspired me. I'm going to actually start... And, and I'm not saying that these are inherently conservative positions. Jordan Peterson's not a conservative. But the point is that people are afraid to speak. But what they should be doing instead is just making the best argument, even if they're going to lose rounds. So you talked about sophistry. For example, I've written uh, a specific case, deep, just completely criticizing sophistry. So when my opponents make sophistical arguments, I quote figures like Alan Sokal. I'm sure you know who that is. He did the Sokal hoax. 
um, like just explaining how they're just manipulating words and it's sophistry, right? And so I'll make those arguments. And I've won with those arguments before when there's been unbiased judges. I think the more people who speak out about this and, and the more discussions that are going on, the more people are going to see what's happening. But obviously, the people who are in charge of this stuff, the tournament directors, the coaches, they're, they're the professors who are propagating this, this, these studies in the first mm. place. Um, what I'm going to do, uh, I'm planning to try and start my own debate organization very soon. Okay. And so just projects like that. Um, I, earlier, I made a debate discord, maybe like around the debate incident. I made a discord for high school debaters and college debaters who wanted to just talk about arguments and all arguments would be accepted and who wanted to like think about how to fight identity politics and debate. And so I think there's maybe like 60 people from all across the country who are in that that will talk to each other about arguments. So that's beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess there's a lot of things that we should be doing to combat that. Are you, do you, what were your thoughts before you posted that? And did you, what, what's your calculus on the, on the blowback and has there any been any blowback yet? I mean, this specific video? Yeah, you, you made a pretty bold move. You, know, you, you went outside yeah. of the game, and the people who do that get punished um, yeah. every time. Um, so what, what do you think the punishment is? Is there going to be any? And you know, I think the worst thing that could happen is possibly Weber State University will try and make a claim that I violated a policy by recording my professor and uploading it. And, and maybe I think the worst that could happen is I'll get expelled. Um, but I, I mean, that's a necessary risk for, for speaking the truth. But you um, can't do this uh, officially anymore. Do, or is that a possibility? I can't compete in debate officially anymore. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, I quit the team before I even uploaded this video. I haven't been able to compete officially for since like September 5th. Um, I think that's when I quit. But Okay. Was there any yeah, fallout the, from what you did, uh, what happened at Arizona State um, in January? Yeah. Yeah, well, the main fallout, Again, the majority of, of the response was really positive because people outside of the debate space see what's going on. Yeah. But the main fallout was the majority of the debate space hates me. Like, I'm not famous. I'm infamous in the debate space. Um, you know, when I'd go to tournaments, people would just be staring at me, like, gr- angrily grinning at me. You know, just these entire teams that think I'm a white supremacist. Like, they genuinely think I'm white supremacist. Hmm. And then, you know, some people were like, hey, dude, awesome. I loved your round. You know, good for you. And so there, okay. there's been positive um, responses in the debate community. But... Tons of people. So, for example, when I joined the debate Discord, the official one, before I created my own, I was just joining to try and schedule some practice rounds because I found out that there was a Discord for like 2,000 other debaters. So I'm like, heck yeah, let me do some practice rounds online. You know? So I join, and then I'm instantly banned. Instantly. Because my username is Michael Marino, and they know who I am. So I, 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 um, I have my friend join and ask, why was Michael Marino banned? And they're like, because he's a racist who quotes racists like Ben Shapiro. And so I post to the debate subreddit. I'm like, guys, what's going on? Like, I, this is unfair. This is this isn't good for debate. And I'm not a racist. Neither is Ben Shapiro, you know. And then I just got berated with responses on the Discord about how I'm terrible for for expose I'm, that I'm that I'm racist. That I um, I was a bad person for recording the students that I went against. Like I I don't know. I violated their privacy. Which of course, if the tables were turned and I was a brown student and white males were telling that to me, I'm sure they would mandate recording rounds from now on. But mm-hmm. Um, just, and and then, and so I made a video about that, about how like, Hey, look at this. I was banned from the discord and the debate subreddit did basically nothing. And then the debate subreddit banned me after that because they said I was encouraging brigading, even though I didn't tell anyone to go to the subreddit and I didn't link the subreddit either. Okay. Um, And so it's very clear that the vast majority of the debate subreddit, the the debate community just genuinely thinks I'm a white supremacist and hates me. Another example. Um, so I'm not in high school debate anymore, but I'll go to tournaments and judge. So if I see a friend who's on Instagram, and post like, hey, I need a judge so I can go compete. I'll volunteer because I know that tons of students lose rounds because they don't have qualified judges. They have parent judges who are just volunteering and have never done debate before. So they don't know how to judge a debate. So I'll volunteer. And so this particular instance, it was a two-day tournament over the weekend. I drove down like 40 minutes to Utah State University or University of Utah. And I just didn't get rounds. I got a couple rounds to judge, but I was just sitting around for hours. And I was like, well, what's going on? Why am I not getting rounds? Like, well, we just, we have more than enough judges here. Or, oh, we don't know. We'll, we'll let you know, right? The next day, I drive 40 minutes, 6 a.m. I wake up early to go to this to volunteer to help these people out. And same thing. I judge maybe two rounds, but like, and I'm like, okay, do you want me to stay for finals or can I go home? Finals isn't like two hours. So I'm trying to know so I don't have to wait for two hours for them to not give me a round. And the director's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can stay. You can, uh, we, you, you'll, you will give you the round. You'll judge final rounds. You're the head guy to judge finals. So I'm there and then they give out ballots. I don't get one. 
they give them to the other people. And I was told by one of my friends in the debate community that he heard from a qualified source who was in Tabroom that they were purposefully restricting my ballots, that they did not want me to judge rounds because of who I am. And so I definitely get the feeling that I'm not wanted in the debate community by the vast majority of, of people. And you pin that, would you pin that down on you drawing a line on the sand with identity politics or the way that you went about drawing the line on the sand? Like by going to an outside source, YouTube, and making a, a public stink out of this thing? It's probably a little of both, but it's mostly the former. Um, like I'm sure there's coaches who, like I judged another tournament and I was allowed to, and the, and the coach was like, hey man, I agree with what happened to you, it was, it was terrible, um, but just don't get me on the news, okay? You know, like that. Um, but the other judges, like they actually think I was, you know, racist for quoting Ben Shapiro. And I think it's because of who I am. Um, yeah. Why do you think that identity politics, this is a bigger question. Um, why do you think identity politics is so infectious? And I guess we should probably define what we mean by identity politics. Sure. When I speak of identity politics, I mean of this like way of looking at people, not as who they are as individuals, all the groups they belong to, who they are as a person, but just hyper-focusing on a couple of groups like race and gender and, and attributing certain characteristics to them because of it. So it's like, you're a part of this group, so you have to be this. That's what I mean by identity politics. Um, why is it so infectious? I mean, that's a big... That's why do a, you think it infected the debate culture? The debate community? Yeah. It's a big question. I think there's a lot of factors. The primary one, though, is academia has become infected by uh, identity politics. And the academia spills into the debate community. At, at, at the high level, like national circuit with policy debate, there's a lot of critical arguments going on where there's just tons of academic, like gender studies philosophers or professors being quoted. And, and so whatever's made, like even this like QAR studies is a relatively new thing. This wasn't a word like very long ago. And, and now it's very common in the debate community. Um, it, I think it's the coaches. The, the coaches have this tilt. A lot of the professors are, are the same ones who are pushing this stuff out. And so their, their debaters are – and also it works. Like it, it definitely works. People in the win game. rounds for it. Yeah. Yeah. They just win rounds. And um, why do they win rounds? Because the judges are sympathetic to that viewpoint or because yeah. there's some sort of structure in identity politics that trumps the other structure uh, on a structural level, like the arguments? Well, they're definitely not beating the arguments at an argumentative level. The reason, okay. the big reason why they're winning rounds, I think, is because judges feel obligated to vote for them. Uh, not because they're afraid, but because they, they do believe in it. Like they have this white guilt. Um, I mean – if you listen to the Arizona video where I was disqualified and you skip to the end where I'm trying to report it to the tournament director, he talks about like, well, you know, what are judges supposed to do when a, when a team reads a, their case all about who they are as people? How am I supposed to say no to that? That would be me rejecting them as a person. Yeah. And so they feel obligated to vote for them because if, if you don't read the topic and you just read, I'm, I'm black and queer, and then the judge votes against you, they interpret that as you rejecting their identity as a black queer man. And that's a valid argument. That if you I don't think that's the valid. argument. Well, I mean, that's seen as a valid argument. That's what they see it as. I don't think that you are rejecting their identity by, by, by not voting against them. You're just simply saying, you didn't come here to talk about your identity. Like, that's not what debate is about. Um, I don't know. Go do something else. Um, obviously, like, and people say, wow, that's so exclusionary, so intolerant. Any activity excludes to an extent. Because if we say, okay, this is what debate is, logically, everything that isn't that is not debate. If I say, okay, here are the rules of football. Here's the game. It's like you can't then go and try and read poetry in football. Because, and it's like, yeah, that is exclusionary, but all systems exclude. The moment you define a system, everything that's outside of that system is excluded. If I say this is a tree, everything that's not that tree is a tree, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. um, and so when, when I, when, it's not wrong to just tell debaters, hey, you're here to debate. You're not here to give a slam poem about who you are as a person that has nothing to do with the topic. Mm -hmm. But the, that's not a, that's not wrong. There's uh, there's something about the uh, hyper inclusive mindset that is hyper exclusive, but it shifts the exclusion onto another identity group. So there's that level of identity politics, but there's something in the structure that is itself so contradictory that it has to use incredibly emotional arguments to cover over the fact that it doesn't actually make sense if you think it through. Yeah. And so I guess the question is, how do you bypass that emotional blockade? How do you get people to think outside of their emotions or to 
stop thinking through their empathy and their sympathy and their compassion? Is there is there a way, a style of debate that can short circuit that which is short circuiting logic and reason? I mean, it's it's difficult because some people who are who have decided that they are right and you're wrong and you'll never convince them otherwise, no matter what um, language or not language speaking style you choose, it's not going to change their mind. But there is something to say about how you should present arguments or, or what type of arguments you should present. You shouldn't pro- you, you shouldn't strive to be a, a provocateur. You shouldn't be trying to offend people. It, you might offend people in speaking your truth, and that's okay. But the goal shouldn't be offense itself. That makes sense. And so, if someone's propagating these like terrible arguments, like I'm not going to try and manipulate them with like emotional appeal. I'm going to just straight up tell them what I logically think. That doesn't mean I have to do it in a rude way, and I don't think I have. Um, but ultimately, like that's all we can do is. If they are propagating these arguments that are emotionally fueled, we need to point out that they're emotionally fueled. We need to explain why they're why it's bad that they're emotionally fueled. So, for example, like you can just give them an, an analogy that's flipped ideologically. So, if they're using emotion to support a position, be like, well, okay, well, what if I did that with this position? Clearly, that'd be wrong because my emotion can't infer that. And because you know that they disagree with that position, they're more likely to see your side and, and understand that why why it's fallacious that they're doing it. Um, and then once you've, I guess. Once you've gotten them to concede that debate should be confined to logical analysis, then it should be pretty straightforward in, 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 in proving it to them that they're wrong. I mean, you could be wrong too. Maybe they'll end up changing your mind. But, but, but even then, like, so they might just say, oh, okay, fine, yeah, let's talk about logic. But they still, in their mind, don't want to change their mind. Okay, well, what's your argument then for logic? Why is logic superior? And, and it can't be because it's a white structure. That's, mm. uh, I'm taking that off the table. Oh, yeah. Well, so my position – okay, so – in the context of debate, or so, so okay, so I'll explain it. I think that truth is the most important thing, and you can't infer, you cannot get truth from anything but logic, because truth is a condition, it's a conclusion, and logic is the study of conclusions. The, the way we make conclusions and we, and we tell when conditions are met is with logic. And so, if we're concerned with truth, we have to be concerned with logic. You can't find the truth from emotion or or, or, or some type of aesthetic resonance. You cannot, I mean, there is something to be said about intuition and deep subconscious pattern recognition. Like maybe you see an idea and it just doesn't mesh right. And so you do some deep introspection and you find out, okay, well, here's the patterns I've noticed through logical thought that in the premises that I know are true, which is why this idea instantly uh, was wrong. I knew it was wrong. But but you, you then go through the logical reasons and you confirm that it's wrong. You can't, intuition can help you find the truth, but it, it doesn't prove the truth. It Logic does. And so... Okay, so that's established. We find truth with logic. Debate is about finding the truth. Uh, I've explained why, because there's no benefit to learning how to be a demagogue and use rhetoric. Like debate, and we can even talk about why is debate important. Hold on, there's plenty of benefit, at least to the person who gets all the power. Well, if if you consider that a benefit, I think that's detrimental. Um, Well, it's definitely detrimental to to society. Um, An analogy I gave is like, let's say instead of learning how to be really good at math, we learn how to look like we're really good at math. And then our science is all messed up and we have fake mathematicians who are just persuading everyone. Obviously, that analogy wouldn't work in the real world because how do you look like you're good at doing math? Oh, uh, that's what it, uh, academia is arguably trying to do. Oh, yeah, with like the Seattle schools and stuff. But yeah. Um, uh, where was I? Where, where were we? Uh, I, I'm sorry. I derailed this. We were, you were talking about – No, no, about, no. Just, just a couple seconds ago. What was I talking about? Because I was on something. We were on truth. Uh, we were going to truth and, and I just said what's the alternative to truth. You're talking about rhetorical power and why oh, that's – Oh, demagogues, demagogues. That's yeah. what we're talking about. So we should think about what is the purpose of debate. The purpose of debate is not to change people's minds and it's not to prove that – okay, well, it's, it's not – you shouldn't debate people because you know you're right and you're wanting to change their mind. The point of debate is – okay, if – if there are two people who, who reach two different conclusions about the world, that indicates that someone went wrong in their reasoning. And so when you are aware of this and you have a conclusion and you see someone who has been alive as well and has a conclusion, you go, like, okay, wait, what went wrong? Why did they disagree with me? Two options. Either they made an error in their reasoning or you did. Okay, if you made an error, you better go talk to them and figure out why. Because if you care about truth, you want to know. And you're only going to know that by debating them. Because so like I'll go and debate people. And, and I'll see why they disagree with me. I'm like, oh, okay, you made a fallacious argument. That's why. I'm good. My position's still good. You're just, you've made this argument. And there's the benefit that you can help them out too. Mm-hmm. But there's always the possibility that you're wrong about that. And so you need to make sure that you have the correct beliefs by debating people. 
Well, there's certain uh, domains in which that just doesn't fly. I mean, uh, long, long-term long relationships, two people have to learn how to just have different opinions on things. I mean, there's different levels. I, I don't want to make a subjective, objective argument, but that mm-hmm. that I can see how your argument makes sense within the terms of seeking truth. But there's other forms of you know trying to get to a place where truth isn't necessarily founded on we both see things in the same yeah. way. It, it might be the case that you, both of you are just never going to prove change each other's mind. So long as it's done in a respectful manner, I don't think it would ever reach a point where it's an issue though. Um, and obviously there's things that it's like, okay, when I'm choosing, like, do I, do I want to wear a blue color of a shirt or a green color of a shirt? Like, that's not a question of truth necessarily. It's a question of preference and you don't need to debate about that. Um, I guess uh, also, so that's the, I think that's the purpose for a debate is, is so that we can make sure we, we can progress individually and, and as a society in finding the truth. Um, now when we talk about why, why does that require logic? There's also just the fact that debate itself is concerned with argumentation. I don't think there's any other way of defining a debate than argumentation. Um, and argumentation is logic. So you can think about it like three premises. Debate is argumentation. Argumentation is logic. I guess two premises. Conclusion, debate is about logic. That's, a, I don't know, modus ponens. How is it – it's not operating according to that, that framework right now though. The, specifically, college policy debating is not operating according to we're trying to seek the truth and we're using argumentation to get there. Or do you think that they're still doing that? Because that, that seems to be the underlying um, contention that you have with the way in which it's headed. It's about this other thing, which you've loosely defined as identity politics. Are they still not trying to get to a state of truth? What is the end state as it is right now, so far as you're concerned? Well, so I think the, the, the goal that the debate, is, the debate space as a whole is, is moving towards is just it's like an assembly line of, of, of postmodern uh, like victim mentality uh, cr- critiques. They're, they're just teaching students how to criticize everything and demonize each other. Like students go and debate for six years, you know, maybe eight years, depending on when they start, and they come out of it just absolutely knowing how to find racism in everything, right? Is, is um, that not a form of seeking truth, or uh, what do you think about that? Like how is well, that justified? Can you steel man that? Sure. Can I still man what they're doing? Yeah. I mean, I, I just want to understand. There's got to be some sort of logic yeah. in the, that in what form doing. of thing, in what they're doing. And, and since you, you're seeing that, I just wonder, if, if you can find the logic, maybe you can find the flaw in the logic. If you can find the, under, the, the reasoning, mm-hmm. maybe you can find the, the flaw in it. Yeah. So I guess we could just ask the question, what's the motivation for philosophies like this outside of the debate space, like, like, uh, like postmodernism and stuff? Um, and it seems like, the the motivation for a lot of these philosophies is is, is that okay so with, with Marxism for example which is the representation of the world as like oppressor versus oppressed like there's a lot of motivation for that because one if you identify as a victim okay you've just now abdicated all responsibility everything that happens to you is everyone else's fault and so you can just completely not feel bad about anything even if it's due to your own lack of um, effort obviously there is genuine oppression in the world but um, and, and then two the benefit is you get to then put blame on people and, and, and feel woke. You get to virtue signal. So there's like the added benefit of feeling good about yourself. Um, and so I think there's a lot of motivations behind ideologies like that. I mean, people ask like, why are young people so liberal? Why is the debate space so liberal? I asked my high school coach about this. She's like, well, because debaters are smart. Of course she said that. But um, like a lot of people who are young are liberals because there's that appeal of the liberal ideology in which a lot of the topics are are being the champion of the oppressed. I'm not saying liberalism is bad as an idea or, or that all of leftists or liberals are like this, but that's the appeal that a lot of people are attracted to is that they get to play the victim and they get to just condemn everyone as racist. They get to go to their, uh, you know, the, these, these teenagers get to go to their barbecue and call their grandfather a racist and they just feel so good about that, you know? Um, and, and they'll post on Twitter, you know, and just feel woke. So, so that's a motivation behind it. Why, um, why, why aren't you attracted to that? I mean, you're, Sorry to say this, but you're pretty young. So, w- mm-hmm. why why do you think that you avoided that or reacted negatively to that? Or what are some of the influences that set you? Yeah, and I'm not saying all young people are like that. I don't want to. No, no, I'm just saying, like, yeah. just generally that some people are like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess I've just I've always been a debater growing up. I've always been someone who's argued. I've always 
I, I've gone through many like ideological changes and stuff. And like, hmm. I've just always cared about the truth. And, and as I've kind of thought more about it and just even like my own, the most basic like metaphysical axioms at my philosophies and moralities, it's truth. Like as I've just thought about it. And so that's my, that's my goal in life is to find the truth and, and to promote it. And so I think maybe that's why, um, like I hold myself to a very high standard when I am choosing my positions. Uh, if it sounds sophistical, like I, I'm not going to have that even if I like the position. So even if I don't like the position, um, even if I hate it, if truth tells me to go there, I'll, I'll go there. <laughs> now why that is, I don't, I think it's because I'm aware that truth is intrinsic. There, there's, I think truth is the most intrinsic value possible because, okay, let's say that you say it's truth does not exist. Okay. Now it's true. The truth does not exist in which case truth does exist. <laughs> and so okay. like, mm-hmm. no matter what, there is truth. It's, it's the most confirmable thing in reality, in nature. I mean, you can think about this kind of like um, Descartes, I think, therefore I am. I don't think that, that that's even the most bottom thing. I think that the am part is, is the most bottom, which is existence, which is truth. And so because I'm aware of that, and, and maybe I'm going on too long of a tangent on it, going too deep in this, but because I'm aware that no matter what truth is, is ultimate, I can't follow any higher value. And, and so that's why I make sure that the beliefs that I have correspond to it. Well, I was just thinking that made me think like, well, what would be a, a, a competing value or not in a competitive sense, but other people who have had pretty successful lives, not in the material world, but just as people uh, have said that love is the highest uh, ideal, like that everything is love. Without love, there's there's no guidance. So truth can be this pristine, languaged apparatus that is uh, coherent to the nth degree, but without love, what what's making that machine turn? And so I can see that in uh, social justice in its incubacy, and probably in a lot of its uh, beneficial turns, is mm-hmm. that it's based not on truth, but on love, on on. Uh, and and what flows out of love, which is caring yeah. for other people, like like the the lifting other people up is higher than knowing what's right, and and so if you follow that uh, too far, then you get a divergence from okay. from truth, and just as if you follow truth too far, you you'll block yourself off from from caring about anything or anyone because yeah. you don't need I, love, I you have truth. So I just wonder so, if so, so. First, what I'll say is um, love is important. It is true that love is important. Truth is subservient. But I'm not saying that love doesn't matter. Obviously it does. Yeah. But, but it is true that love matters. And so truth is still the ultimate value. No matter what you value, if you make a value postulation, you're making a truth claim. Okay. Um, I think love's important because I... When we're, when we're in... I don't think that... So you brought up the concern of like... I don't know if you, if you tell people the truth, they might be upset. You know, like they, it might go too far. Is that what you're getting at? It's like sometimes it's better no, to I, just I, not you, tell them what's right or. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that without that, without, I just don't, I don't know if you can make a, uh, I don't think you can have truth without love or love without truth. I, I don't think well, truth is the only value. I, I think it's got to be constellated with other values. Well, yeah, I think that true love involves truth. If you, if you, if you truly love someone, then, then, then truth itself will be the basis. Like it, you will, you'll propose to them things that you think are, are true. You're not going to lie to someone. If you lie to someone, you don't really love them. Um, that's, that's at least what I think. Um, I think, I think love is a good facilitator for truth too. In, in Lincoln, like Doug, a, con- a criteria, a criteria. Yeah, exactly. Huh. So in, in, um, in Lincoln Douglas debate, the format it deals with values and criteria. So you'll start out, read your speech. You'll say, here's a value. Okay. And then you'll say, here's the criteria that we can follow to get to that value. So maybe my value is like, I don't know, um, like serenity, feeling very good about like, just not being afraid of anything. And maybe their criteria is stoicism, the philosophy of stoicism, or maybe just like the, the mantra of memento mori, know that you're going to die. Right. Uh, it can be like a, it may, I refer to them as ethics. So I'll say they're moral values and then you follow ethics to get to them. Hmm. I think love is probably a good criteria for truth. Um, when you build connections and relationships with people and you really love them, then you can, then you, so I think the purpose of relationships is to, to bond with a person in a very deep sense so that you can both progress as individuals. And so progression is obviously moving towards truth. And I think relationships are great. 
you're, you're helping each other be the best that, uh, the best people that they can be. I don't know if that answers the concern, but that's just me thinking about that. No. Yeah. We, we got off like the, the little topic that we were talking about and that's probably, uh, something that I think the audience would, uh, doesn't mind. So much, <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to hear me talk about love. <laughs> <laughs> what's your, what's your next step then? Oh, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens if the university does anything. Is um, there any rumors of that? I saw that they made a press statement. They made a statement. The, the statement was disappointing because, again, it was, it was seeming as if they were brushing this off as, as if the coach was just teaching debate when I've, I provided more than enough evidence to suggest that he's not doing that, to show that that's not what he's doing um, and that he has an agenda. Now, do you have any qualms about uh, encroaching on his academic freedom? And uh, no, making no, this public and is saying that he shouldn't be a teacher. No, I don't. Um, he has freedom of speech. Of course he does. But freedom of speech doesn't mean that you're entitled to work at an institution and be paid, especially when that money's coming from federal funds and not meet your obligations as a professor. It's like if I hired a math teacher and, and like they, they do what they're doing in Seattle schools and they made all these lines and instead of teaching math, he just teaches about how math is racist. Like I'm not, I, you should not be being paid to do that because well, one, it's a waste of funds, and two, students who want to learn about math now miss that opportunity, which is exa exactly what's happening in debate. So yeah, he should definitely be fired. I don't think it's a question of his academic freedom. If he were to say this stuff on campus, just on campus, like in the in the union building, you know, maybe if he had a sign and it was in between classes, and he was that's fine. He has the right to do that. I'll debate him on campus, and I don't want him to get ex like he shouldn't get fired for saying that stuff. He could put up posters around the school saying I hate white people, whatever. Freedom of speech. It's that he's in a classroom setting forcing these ideas onto people when that's not the curriculum. I didn't sign up for Afro studies or queer studies. I signed up for debate. So the curriculum should be debate. It, it shouldn't involve the mandation of a certain ideology. Mm -hmm. And so I don't have any qualms about suggesting that he should be removed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I guess, uh, you've, you've kind of taken knocks for standing up for your values, uh, in, in a way you've accepted the fact that you can't debate anymore because you've taken, uh, I don't know, would you say an ideological stand or a principal stand, I guess, I'd say a principle stand. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. But again, like the cost of me not speaking up, I think outweighs any, any punishment they could give me. Um, what does that cost? Of not speaking? Yeah. Well, so I, I guess I've talked about how I think truth is the most important thing, right? And I, that's my highest value. That's why I debate so that I can good at, get good at doing it. And so like, okay, what's the point of me even doing debate Okay, sure, they kick me out of the university. They kick me out of debate. Okay, well, what does that even matter if I'm, <laughs> if I'm, if I'm not even learning what I came there? But, but the deeper reason is that all I have control over is, is my own integrity. Ultimately, anyone can do anything to me. So I'm not going to base my actions on to what they're going to do to me. Um, instead, I'm going to follow reason, and I'm just going to do what I believe is right, because that's all I have control over. Yeah. You don't have any, um, you, you won't be alone stepping outside. You might be kicked out, but you won't be alone. I mean, the, the, the way that these things have been running for years now, it's they're kicking more and more people out. So there's more and more people. I mean, I've, I've, I've read through the comments on your YouTube and, and it seems like you have a lot of supporters. So, mm -hmm. and, and that's what I was kind of talking about. Um, ever since the, even before the Arizona incident, um, I've been planning to start my own debate organization, um, in which I'll host, it'll, we will host our own tournaments. And the, the, the main difference is that it will be evaluated objectively. So the problem in the debate space is that there's no set way to evaluate rounds. So anyone gets to judge and they get to decide how to, how, who wins based on any reason at all. Right. So if it's just like a, a mom judge or a parent judge who just doesn't know anything about debate, they're like, wow, you sounded very persuasive. You win. Even though the other side probably like won the round at a technical level. Right. And, and so they, or, or maybe you have a college judge who's just like, this is psychological violence. I'm ending the round, right? And so there's no standard of judging. Okay. I believe that there is a very consistent way to judge rounds, which is, which is essentially the same way that deductive logic works, or just formal logic in general, which is that you go through all the premises and you say, okay, what's the conclusion of that? And so in debate, what you do is you have a, pap a paper or an electronic computer, and you, you flow all of the arguments that are made. You flow all the positions, like the responses to those arguments, the responses to those responses, the responses to those responses. At the end of the round, you see, okay, which arguments flowed through? And then you say, okay, if, these, if this is true, if this is true, if this is true, what does that say about the topic? And you can easily determine who wins the round. And so if every judge flowed, it could be 100 judges. If they all flowed correctly, they would all come to the same conclusion. 
Um, it, and so that's the main difference of the debate organization. It's, it's going to actually be based on the argumentation. So any position can be argued. Uh, anyone can run anything. And if they argue it well, they'll win rounds. There won't be any ideological bias um, or disqualifications like that. Is there precedent for that that you've seen? What do you mean precedent? And, uh, is there other organizations, debate organizations, like in Europe or other places that you've I'm I'm not with? sure. Okay. I'm unsure about international. I know there's a couple different debate organizations in America. I think there's one called Stoa. There's a couple Christian debate organizations <laughs> that uh, are kind of they're very, they're pretty conservative. Um, but I, like I don't think they're supported by high schools. Maybe they are. I'm not sure about that. But even then, I don't think that they have a a format of judging. I think it still is based on this persuasion model in mm. which the goal is to just you know talk really well and look like you want to debate and and international. I, so I went to one of the debate events I competed in at, at nationals um, in my eleventh grade year. It was it was called World Schools, and so when I went to the nationals debate tournament, there were schools from. This was an international event, and the format for deciding was literally like it wasn't even open to interpretation. You had to vote based on like who was a better speaker, who brought up more points, who responded to more points, even if the points didn't matter. And so it seems like that's kind of like what all of the debate organizations are about is just this false idea of debate as as demagoguery. Hmm.